I think I told you that this jacket I got at a uh, used clothing store. Did I, did I tell you that? One man's trash is another man's treasure. One man's trash is God's treasure, which uh, makes me think of my own life and all that the Lord has done in my life. And uh, we want to be marked by gratitude in our lives. Everything goes better with gratitude. The hardest things, the, the sharpest pains, the saddest moments. Because uh, even as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But then most importantly, he said, with your prayers, and supplications, he said, offer them with thanksgiving. And it's sometimes uh, the difficulties of life that blind us to the possibilities that remain and to the good things that we can count, endless good things that we can count. And above all, the hope that we have because we have such a great God who loves us so much. It's, uh, it makes us tremble from time to time uh, when we take it to heart, when we level with the truth of it, and we face it and get close to it and realize what God has done for us. Well, here in John chapter 10... Uh, another timely truth and sobering saying, which I think uh, confronts us in a most uh, gripping way with the fact that God loves us. And uh, today's uh, sobering saying, timely truth, is I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 14. Chapter 10, interestingly, and perhaps uh, not fully appreciated because often we just dive in to a certain place. We don't swim in our Bible. We just dive in and get out, dive in and get out. But if we swim, well, we move from chapter 9 right into chapter 10. There's no break. There's no change of scenery. There's no change of audience. In fact, uh, chapter 10, in a way, is a comment or is triggered by a comment. Uh, it is uh, something of an explanation of chapter 9 and a, a, an event in chapter 9. And so they are tied together. In chapter 9, verse 34, if you were with us last Sunday, Jesus healed a man who was born blind, never lost his sight because he never had his sight. A phenomenal 
a, not just recreative, a generative miracle. And it's a miracle that says something on its own. But the religious leaders have all kinds of trouble with it, and they think it has to be in some way tied to some demonic power. They interview and interrogate the blind man, the people who knew him, his own parents, and then uh, the blind man a second time, and when he doesn't uh, provide them with the kind of justifications for dismissing this thing as they would have it, they, they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. In other words, uh, he's a persona non grata. He's no longer a citizen. Sorry, you're no longer a member of the Rotary Club. Turn in your card. Give us, give us your, your gun and badge. You're no longer an officer of the law. Turn in your uniform. You're no longer a member of the team. And Jesus finds him. He had never set eyes on Jesus because Jesus, when they, when they came upon this man, Jesus never really had a conversation with him. He made a paste of his own spit and clay and the, the soil. He put it on his eyes and he said, go wash and you'll see. And the man went and washed. But Jesus wasn't there when he, when he gained his sight. And now Jesus, after he's cast out, he finds him. He who was cast out, Jesus went out and found him and brought him into the fold. That's the connection to chapter 10. Whereas the religious leaders who cast him out were like hired sheep tenders with no real investment Jesus, the good shepherd, goes and finds him and brings him into the fold. Out of one and into another, one that will be greater. And that is the spirit, that's essentially the message of everything Jesus is saying in chapter 10. At the end of chapter 9, the Pharisees show their blindness by claiming that they see And so in the opening of chapter 10, the first five verses, Jesus speaks to them in a figure of speech. That's what it's called in verse 6. Because in verse 6 it says, He spoke to them in a figure of speech. Some might have translated it parable. It's a more figurative language that is a comparison. That's descriptive of what Jesus says in those first five verses. And in chapter uh, 10, verse 6, it says they didn't understand what he was saying. 
we're not blind, they said. So Jesus talks to them in a figures of language, and when he's finished, they're more confused than ever. They're blinder, if you can be blinder. Things are darker, not lighter, more confused, not clearer. And so Jesus, in verse 7, says, well, let me try this again. I mean, look at verse 7. It's, it's almost comical. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. But you see, the key word here is again. Let, let me, okay, I'm not going to give up on you. Uh, let's go at this one more time. See if we can get this, Okay. Uh, who am I? What am I doing here? Uh, what's my end game? What's the plan? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's demonstrated it in healing a man born blind and saying, I am the light of the world. And now he's trying to illustrate the difference between him and the religious leaders and where he fits into the history of this whole thing, God's cosmic plan for this world in which we live, where does he fit in into his, the place of what God is doing at that time in relation to the law and the prophets? And he's going to be telling them, and so he says, okay, let's, uh, for the second time, <laughs> verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And... I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, 
and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Now I want you to notice the next three verses because this shows you how they hear Jesus, they who see and who are not blind. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? His sheep follow the voice of the good shepherd. His sheep follow the voice of the good shepherd. There are five reasons why you and I should follow his voice. I'd like to share them with you briefly this morning. They're all drawn from this passage. He lays down his life for you. He guards and keeps you. He knows you completely. He called and gathered you to himself, and he came to give you life and give it without stint. In other words, in abundance, more than you could ever use, more than you would ever need. The good shepherd, let's look at the first one. This comes from verse 11 and 15. He lays down his life for you. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is entirely voluntary. He lays it down of his own accord. And, of course, he has authority to lay it down and to take it up. This is the striking thing as we go forward through the passage and we, we hear, so to speak, layers. It's almost, <laughs> you know, I, re I really have a tremendous, uh, an immeasurable respect for God's Word. So please, I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way when I, when I say this, but, but if you've sometimes a plane has to circle the airport before it can land. It's ready to land, but there are complications. Uh, maybe some traffic is on the, the runway. Uh, the airport's not ready for the plane, so they ask the plane to circle. Well, Jesus kind of circles on these subjects, and uh, you just keep circling, and each time you loop, you pick up a little bit more, and it's layered in a sense. It's enriched, and it becomes deeper, and the colors brighter, more powerful. And of course, this is not only true here of chapter 10, but it's really true of the entire gospel. And so you, you keep echoing or catching the echo of things that somehow complement, uh, not in the sense of flatter, but add to your understanding and the depth of what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he is communicating. 
throughout the Gospel of John, it's evident that, well, and this was very central to my, my thesis, my PhD dissertation on the Gospel of John, that, that Jesus is the, and I love this word, plenipotentiary of God. He is the all-powerful one. God has, has placed all things. It says this in chapter 3. It says it again in chapter 13. Jesus says, God, he says, the Father has given all things into my hand. Uh, in the ancient uh, world of Jesus, when there was an exchange of property, that sale uh, would be concluded by taking some of the soil into your hand, taking possession. This notion of in the hands of Jesus in both chapter 3 and 13, very significant. Jesus has all power, pleno, complete, potentiary power. He is vested with what we would call power of attorney. That gives you the legal right to transact all business, legal and otherwise, on the behalf of another person as if you were that person herself or himself. And, of course, that gets us into agency, which was the central piece, the heart of my dissertation. Jesus is the agent of the Father. He is the, the, the kind of more biblical language. He is the representative of God. And that makes perfect sense because Jesus reveals God to us. In Jesus, we see the Father. It's not about his kind of to our physical sight to have some kind of an image and, you know, I want to see it on Instagram. No, no. There's, there's a more important picture of God to be seen, and it's in his character. In fact, this is brought out in chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And then, verse 14, the Word became flesh, and he dwelt in our midst. He dwelt, he tabernacled is the Word. And the image is the tabernacle that was constructed when God claimed his people, a people for himself, and delivered them out of Egypt. Through a redemptive work, he made them his own, and he got right in the middle of them. And Moses was his representative. Now we're told in the beginning of John chapter 1, the Word who was with God has become flesh and dwelt in our midst. Now here's the key, and we beheld his glory. Well, glory is the, is the distinct uh, category of God we beheld his glory, glory as the one and only, the unique. Genesis 22, Abraham had one son. He had a one and only son, Isaac. 
In antiquity, the same expression is used of a couple who can only have one child. That child is the one and only, the unique, the, the distinctly loved child. The one and only son of the father. We beheld his glory. And what is that glory? Go back to Exodus chapter 33, verse 6, 34, verse 6. 33 and 34, you get the context. He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock because what did Moses want? He said, I want to see you. What does John say repeatedly? No one has ever seen God, but the only or unique, he who reveals him. Moses wanted to see God. God said, I, I can't let you see me, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. And when he passes by, we expect to see an Instagram photo. We want to put it on Facebook. But no, what does he hear? I am Yahweh. And he begins to declare the qualities of his heart, which end with full of grace and truth. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. And that is the glory of the Father. That is what is revealed in Jesus Christ and all the pieces of our Christian life, all the components of, that are so important to us are contained in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. His obedience to the Father, that he does not act on his own but only in the authority as a representative. That's what makes him a good revealer because he reveals only what he has learned and seen of the Father. And so it is, it is with the Father's authority that he lays down his life. We never doubted that. We always, that's the only way we see the cross. This is an act of God in Jesus Christ. But this is what he's declaring even here in John chapter 10. You see, this word good shepherd, how do you define good? Well, Jesus defines it right here in chapter 10. He lays down his life for his sheep. That's good. That's what no one else will do. That's why Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's the other end of it. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life by my sheep. I am gathering. I am, I am searching for and gathering up and bringing into the fold. I'm bringing home my sheep. That's what he's saying here. And you are his sheep. He's calling you. He wants you and wants to gather you into his fold. But he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for you. And then when you and I personalize that, then, like Paul, we can say things such as he said when he said it in Galatians 2.20, the Son of God loved me and gave his life for me. We sang earlier, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive. That really gets to me because I believe that with all my heart. I mean, literally, I would not be, I just do not believe I would have survived if it were not for Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have a story similar to that. 
perhaps you realize that you were killing yourself, you were self-destructive, that your behavior, your thinking, your decisions, your choices, everything that you were doing with your life was so selfish and self-absorbed and so deceived by the wiles of this world that you were headed to a dead end. That in my case, I was so reckless and on such a steep slope. Um, I, I, I really, I, it's a wonder I'm not in prison or dead, even with the years before I turned my life to Christ. So when I hear those words, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive, it touches me very deeply. For his blood has set me free. It will never lose its power me. His blood has set me free. It's kind of mystical in a way, but it, it is to me that precious reality that I can always start over. I can always turn to Jesus, that he loves me unconditionally. And soon you become wise to the fact that I should trust him all the time and not just when I'm in a heap of trouble. He guards and keeps you. Boy, we see this in verses 12, really 12 through 15, but I'm just looking particularly at verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. And this is contrasted with the hired hand who doesn't really have much in this game. You know, he doesn't have a stake in it. He his commitment has a limit on it, and it's not a very high limit. The very word that we translate hired hand or hireling is a word that is actually made up of the Greek word for wage or money. In other words, he's in it for the money, honey. And when the going gets rough, he's gone. In fact, it says right here in those verses, uh, you know, when a, when a wolf comes, he hightails it. He's not going to put his life down for the sheep. And then immediately Jesus answers that with, I am the good shepherd. What? So what makes you good? I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to lay down my life. In fact, it says that where he doesn't have a strong interest or concern or care for the sheep. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Jesus will never say you're not worth it. If you came today, or perhaps you haven't even kind of formulated it, sometimes we have stuff that's floating around in our thinking, and, and we don't even pull it into our conscious thought. And it, it, sometimes it clouds up and we just feel like, we call it the blues. Or, you know, I'm just not feeling myself. I don't have that energy that I should have. I don't have that drive. I don't have that sense of purpose. We're in this kind of a malaise. And sometimes it's because we're not putting our finger on little things that are bothering us and we're handling them in a loose sort of way and not through trust in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we start to think, I'm not worth it. 
And we need to bring that step into focus and say, I can deal with this in the strength and power of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. My sheep hear my voice. He says, he says that in verses 4 and 5 in the figure of speech. It comes again in verse 27. In Palestine today, the Bedouins, and uh, when I was there in 2010, we got to see a lot of Bedouins on more than one occasion. At one point, we were hosted by a Bedouin family. And the children are often uh, uh, the hirelings, you know, but, but they know their sheep, and their sheep know them. And when they, when they congregate, sometimes the, they, the Bedouin families with their separate herds group together and living and also watering. And when the herds come in from pasturing, all the sheep are just a big, well, it's, it's like a convention of sheep who are watering uh, themselves together. And the shepherds, you would think, would be concerned, you know, like with cattle, they brand them. But no, they just, you know, if they, they have a, a certain whistle or they, they just say, hey, sheep, come here, and they'll start following. I, I read a short uh, testimony once. Uh, a youth pastor was new to the church, and uh, it was in a more um, rural area, and one of the parents of the kids invited him out, and it was out on a rent, he had a large branch, and while he was there, he says, hey, I've got to call in the sheep. Would you like to help me call in the sheep? Well, of course. He says, sure, I'll help you call in the sheep, and so they're looking over the fence at about 25 sheep, and he says, okay, what do I do? And he just says, uh, say, hey, sheep, come here. So he, he summons up all this power, you know, and, hey, sheep, come here. I mean, absolutely nothing. It's like they didn't even hear a thing. And then the man himself, the owner, his name was Tom, as I recall. Tom says, hey, sheep, come here. And they immediately turn and start ambling in. It's kind of freaky. He lays down his life for us. He guards and keeps us. He knows us completely. In verses 14 and 15, he says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. I know the Father. You know, sometimes I'm a mystery to myself but I'm never a mystery to the good shepherd. Sometimes I can't believe I've done something. Sometimes I gum up my own best plans, wishes, but I'm not a mystery to him. And he knows, he knows my true humanness. Uh, the best of it and the worst of it. He doesn't just know things about us. He knows us. That is, it's not just that he could write a book. He knows you. 
You need to know that. Do you know that? He knows you. Shelly and I will be celebrating 45 years of marriage. I know I'm only 20. How can that be? This new math. Celebrating 45 years, uh, March 29th. Sin presence. Hey, thanks. I really wasn't fishing for applause, but you know, it is kind of cool. 45 years. I really don't feel that old. But you know what makes a marriage work? Trust. You know what builds trust? Predictability. That's it. Look, in a good sense, because they want to know you, right? There can still be adventure, there can still be mystery and surprise, but they want to know you. And that's what you build in a marriage. That's what you build through communication and sharing. You continue to share your aspirations and hopes. You share your troubles and you talk about how the Lord helped you. Uh, you call up on the phone like I did to Shelly just the other day and I said, you know, and she didn't, she didn't make anything of it, but I, I share these things because I feel like I am an under-shepherd and unless you know my heart and unless you know I go through these things too, I'm not Jesus. I'm, I'm another sheep, you know, with a weather bell, so to speak. That's the way I see myself. But Shelley had said, Let, we need to go do something. And I, my, my immediate reaction was, I don't want to do that. I've got so much to do, and that's going to make it hard. And Anyway, so then the next morning I called up and I said, you know, I'm really embarrassed at what I said. I'm, I'm actually, I feel shame about it. So I, I just wanted to call and say that, you know, that's not, the guy I want to be. I really do want to go. I thought about it. The Lord's touched my heart on this. So please forgive that. But that's good. The thing is, I need to show that to Shelly, you know, and share those things with her. That's how she gets to know me. She knows that even if the night before it was like, hmm, Maybe she doesn't look at it that way. She just knows me. She knows I'll come around. She knows she didn't take it like, <gasps> I can't believe that. But see, if you saw that, that's what you might do. We need to know him because he knows us like that. And yet he wants what's best for us even when we don't know what's best for ourselves. The good shepherd also calls and gathers us. Verse 16, I have other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. How does he bring us to himself and make us his sheep? Well, he calls us by name. He calls us out by name. And the sheep who are called by name, which are mentioned in verse 3, are the ones who come through the door in verse 9. And who is the door? It is Jesus. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you say he's not just that historical guy who died on the cross and I know all about the gospel, he is my Lord. He died for me. 
my sin is taken care of by him on the cross. His love heals my heart. I can trust him. I can put my life in his hands. When we make that move, then we become his sheep. We become part of his fold. And the shepherd would often stand or, or sit or sleep even in the, in the opening to the entrance at times uh, so it becomes a fitting figure. We come through that door when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's more important is that in this passage, he is the good shepherd, and that picks up all the imagery of the Old Testament. Let this just touch your heart. These are things that are said in the Old Testament of God, who is the shepherd of Israel. That's one fold. Now in Jesus Christ, Jesus is not only the shepherd of Israel who who will step out, so to speak, of that fold and into the new one fold of Jew and Gentile. But look what is said of God in the Old Testament. Here's just a few. Psalm 81, O shepherd of Israel, pay attention. You who lead Joseph like a flock of sheep. Or Psalm 23, 1 through 3, which we know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This becomes all the more real in Jesus. Isaiah 48, 11, like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. Is God tender with you? Even in your stubbornness, brokenness, would he pick you up and put you over his shoulder? Oh, yes, he would and will. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 15 and 16, God says, I myself will pasture my sheep. I myself will give them rest. The lost I will seek out. The strayed I will bring back. The injured I will bind up. The sick I will heal. You see, he called and gathered you in Jesus Christ. And he came to give us life and give it for eternity. This we see in chapter 10, verse 10, verse 17, verse 28. He gives us eternal life. Trust the shepherd because the life that he gives us is, uh, is truly, I mean, you'll notice the words. He didn't say, I came that when they die, they may have life. He says, I come to give you eternal life. It's, it's, it's what you realize and experience when you give your life to Christ, when you follow him, an evidence of this is the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Of course, that begins the battle with the flesh. When the flesh, flesh wins, and Paul talks about that a lot, doesn't he? And of course, when the flesh wins, in Paul's words, his way of talking about this truth, then we're straying. We're not following the shepherd. We're not hearing his voice in John's language. Okay. 
But when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're expressing love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, well then, we're following the shepherd. We're hearing his voice. The Holy Spirit is actually at work in our lives. But the imagery that we're seeing here is talking about that reality, even as Paul talks about it as being filled with the Spirit, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, walking after the Spirit. This is really important stuff. But it is power for living now. It's life without end and everlasting now. It's life bigger than life. And yesterday when I was uh, at the memorial for Bill Perry Pruitt, Larry Pruitt's father, I was reminded again how lovely, how beautiful, how full of light is the death of a saint and the spirit among the people. What a difference because of the good shepherd because of the life that he laid down, but picked up that we all might have life. Trust that shepherd. Me, I'm an overachiever. I have insecurities, doubts. I engage in comparison. I experience sadness, fears, selfishness. I... Uh, I can talk and be honest about this because I'm, I know the Lord has already changed me so much that, you know, uh, I can just be frank about stuff like this. But, um, yeah, I'm, I, I've committed sins of downright meanness. And over the years, I've literally hated things about myself. if you in any way can identify with just these few little things that I've strung together like a bead necklace, if you can identify with any of those feelings or anything of those, like those thoughts, then I have news for you. And it's good news. Trust the Good Shepherd. Turn to Him. Take a breath and trust Him. Take a step and follow his voice. He knows you by name. He calls you by name. His sheep follow the voice of the good shepherd. Will you stand with me? As I tell you <laughs> every week, I'm going to be up here after uh, I pray and I'll be joined by leaders from our church, uh, husbands, wives. Uh, there'll be somebody if you'd like to pray. You know, it's good sometimes to pray after hearing the word. It always sounds so sweet, doesn't it, in some way? I mean, somewhere the, God's voice breaks through and he just touches your heart. And it is uh, it's a dab of great solace, if things are hot, it, it cools. If things are parched, it, it's moist. But sometimes when we've experienced that, we need to pray. Or we need to make a decision. And whether you come and 
pray with us about that or or whether you uh, share it with with me or someone else but do share it in some way do something with it you know why that's faith if you don't do anything with it it's not faith if you do something with it you're believing and if you're believing you're following Heavenly Father we thank you for your love we thank you for your tenderness there's there's just nothing that we can't get up from uh, nothing that we can't uh, turn away from and start over it's just so wonderful to know you're waiting for us when we stray that you're looking for us when we're hiding that you want us home in the comfort and the security of your arms your protection you know what's best for us help us to revive this uh, capacity to believe in you and trust you beyond the circumstances of our daily lives today throughout this week and in a measure from this point forward we pray this all in jesus name and all of god's people said god bless you <laughs>